Isaiah 52, you can just remain seated. Isaiah 52. I'm going to read the end of Isaiah 52, and then I'm going to flip over, and we're going to read the beginning of Isaiah 53. Uh, I've said this before, uh, but this is worth noting for a lot of people don't understand this or may not know this. But if you have a chance today and you look at a Bible, you'll notice that the Bible is divided up into 66 books, 39 that are labeled Old Testament, 27 that are labeled New Testament. Each one of those books is divided up into chapters and verses. Now, these, when they were originally written thousands of years ago, they did not have numbers attached to them. They were written very much like you and I would write a letter. Uh, they were just written fluidly in a coherent thought. But as the Bible began to be translated, the translators put in chapter markings and put in verse markings. The reason they did that was to give us a better opportunity to be able to study and to reference the Bible. I said this before, but can you imagine Psalms as a, uh, as a 150 uh, chapters. Could you imagine and say to you today, go to the middle of Psalms, halfway down the right side. Everybody has a different Bible, different print. We'd be spending two hours trying to find the same verse. But if I said to you to go Psalms 23 verse 1, you could find that. So I said all that because I want to read the end of Isaiah 52 and the beginning of Isaiah 53 because even though they're in two different chapters, they're a part of the same kind of thought. And when you separate them, I think you'll lose a little power. But the end of Isaiah 52, verse 13 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled, be very high, just as many were astonished at you. So his vis- visage was marred more than any man, and his form was more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what he did not, for what for what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider. Now, if you go with me over to the beginning of the next chapter, verse one: Who has believed our report? And to him, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before them as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that we would see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. And rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we did as it were, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Can I get one amen on that? He was bruised for our our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Can we say thank you, Jesus, for that one? Amen. I want to read this again, though, but I want to read it in the New Living Translation to give a little more of a modern take on this same passage of Scripture. The New Living Translation for Isaiah 52 says, See, my servant will prosper. He will be exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one scarcely would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been told, for they will understand what they had not heard about. 
verse 1 of chapter 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we, we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. I got to just read that one more time. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Our world today is absolutely enamored with image. People spend thousands of dollars just on image. People go and buy a car to project an image. You buy clothes to project an image. You do your hair a certain way or lack thereof hair a certain way (laughs) to project an image. We do things because we have become a very imaged conscious society. I've said this before and I'll say it again to make sure you understand clearly what I'm saying. I'm not a social media uh, basher. I think there's great things about social media. But the problem with social media is it has even furthered our fascination and sort of our, our obsession with image. They call a lot of people on Instagram that are uh, popular, they call them influencers. And they're influenced because of their image. And because of this, we have elevated image greater than character. We walk through the checkout lines of the grocery store and we are enamored with the image of a star without ever taking and weighing the character of that star. And we know this because if you read about their lives, their marriages are a mess. They're they they're addict. They're 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 full of addiction. They're they're all over the map. But it doesn't matter because their image is okay. Politicians, and I'm not here to make a political statement, but we all understand. Most of us are sort of aware of the climate of our world. Politicians promise character, but really in the end, in the end, they protect their image. And so image has become something that we are enamored with. And, and the problem with that is, it's like anything that we're exposed to because we are real people living in a real world. We take the world's view and bring it into the church. Because the church was truly designed by God to influence the world. But as the church has become more watered down, the world influences the church. And because of that, we find that the church has become enamored with image. Now, I'm not saying today there's something wrong with trying to look nice. 
I'm not saying there's nothing wrong. There's something wrong with spending a few moments in the mirror before you show up today to make sure there's nothing in your teeth, that your hair is somewhat together, that you look somewhat decent, that your clothes match. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that we just sort of just let ourselves go. Well, he talked about images. We're just going to let ourselves go. I'm not saying that. I don't think your work would appreciate you showing up tomorrow just free as a bird. Hair undone. Teeth not brushed. Wearing whatever you picked up off the floor. Smelled. Sounds good to me. Smells good to me. Let's wear it. Why? I'm not worried about image. Let's not go down those roads. But the problem is, is that if we're not careful, we allow ourselves to focus more on letting God give us a better image than we do working and letting God work on character. And because of the world we live in, we're all about image. And, and, and because of that, now churches, and I'm not saying this to bash churches, so don't take it as I'm against any church. I'm just making a statement. I do follow these things. I do look at these things. And I know there's a lot of sincere out there. But I've watched how churches have become enamored with projecting image. But here's the problem. When I go back and I begin to really look at Scripture, Jesus did a lot of things to not get you to look at His image. Because in the end, it comes down to this. What's on the inside matters more. What's on the inside matters We'll spend thousands of dollars trying to make the outside okay, but we won't spend one minute in prayer to check the inside to make sure the inside's okay. We'll spend hours in the mirror making sure that every single hair on your head is in place. Or in my case, I spend hours making sure they look out of place but in place. But we won't stop for just a moment to say, God, search my heart. Know me and my ways. If you see anything in me, Lord, take it out of me. Because I don't want someone to look at me and say, wow, what a person. But I've got junk living on the inside. Because what's on the inside matters. The Bible gives us a very clear picture in Isaiah 53, a very clear picture of what the man Christ Jesus really looked like. If you and I were walking down the streets of Jerusalem, if you and I were walking the streets of a city in Galilee today, and we were 2,000 years now in the in the past, and we had the chance to go back into that time, if we were walking down the street that day, the Bible says that we wouldn't have stopped and go, there goes Jesus. He wouldn't have stood out. There's nothing about him that would have stood out. How do you think he could have lived 18 years in complete silence? 18 years with no one really knowing what he, who he was, just the old carpenter from Nazareth. Why? Because there was nothing about him that stood out. 
There was nothing about his image that stood out. When Jesus came out of the 40 days of fasting, and I don't have the chance to go into this today, but if you go back and you read the scripture and you'll know the story of Jesus, he, he leaves the carpenter shop and he goes for 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. And he comes out of that after 40 days of prayer and fasting, being tempted of Satan three times, and he shows back up to John the Baptist. And when he shows up to John the Baptist, John the Baptist looks at him and declares, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I want you to look at this for a moment, because this is important. And I'm, 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 I'm you, some of you, I can tell you think I'm going this way, but you better put something on, because I'm going to yank the wheel back the other way. So don't jump ahead of the story. Notice that when Jesus left the carpenter shop that day, that he didn't call a group of image consultants around him and say, okay, now I'm ready. Now what do I need to do? What can we do to publicize that I'm coming? What can we do to get the word out that I'm here? What can we do to let people know that I'm the son of God and I'm about to show up? He didn't do that. What did he do? In order to produce his image, he went into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer. And when he came out of that wilderness, have you ever seen anybody? I've seen several that have done it. I don't recommend doing it unless the Lord leads you. But I've seen people who have fasted for 40 days. I know several have fasted. 40 days of fasting will change your image. You will look different. Can you imagine after 40 days of being in the wilderness, when he comes out of that, he was probably look weak. He probably looked skinny. He didn't look like the man, the Christ Jesus, about to conquer the world. Why? Because when John looked at him, he did not look at the image of a man, but he saw what was inside of the man coming out of that wilderness. And looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, even Christianity has today has tainted the image of Jesus Christ. I don't want to break this or, or, or offend you. I, I'm not saying you go, that, that it's wrong to have it. You, you want to have it? It's, it's, up, it's perfectly between you and God to do it. But if you have a crucifix or a picture of a crucifix in your house today, I'm going to probably guess that the picture is wrong. Because you see, artists, when they have tried to express through their paintings or through their drawings what the cross has looked like, did not stop long enough to go back and look at the Bible. They've romanticized the cross. They have romanticized the, the, the horror of the cross. And because if they really showed what it looks like, you and I would not want it on our wall. You would not want that picture hanging next to your kitchen table while you're trying to eat. Why? Because Isaiah 52 tells us that his visage, his face was so marred, he didn't even look like a man. Can you imagine that day where soldiers kicked and beat his face? 
kicked and beat his face until his own mother looked at him and didn't even know that was her boy. Later on, John gives us an image of Jesus in Revelation. He makes this statement that when he sees the image of Jesus, that he has white hair. Now, I know that may have some symbolism in a lot of ways, but I read a study one time that I found quite interesting that someone used that verse. Now, I'm not saying this is biblical, so just work with me here. I'm not saying it's biblical, but it's very interesting. And someone took that verse about the white hair of Jesus in John's description. And they went and did a medical study. And medically, there is a condition. I don't know what the name of it is. And if I knew it, I probably couldn't pronounce it. But there's a medical condition that if your body comes under immense stress, that in some cases... It can turn your hair white in just a short period of time. And so they theorized, again, this is not Bible, it's theory, but they theorized from a medical standpoint that the reason why his hair was white was because of the stress that he went through during the passion of Christ. I said all that to say is because when you and I look back through the image of an artist as they have painted a picture, we look at the cross and it's romanticized because we see the beauty of Jesus hanging on a tree, glowing light behind him, loincloth covering him up so strategically. It looks beautiful. And I'm not saying there wasn't beauty in it, but not the beauty you and I are used to. The beauty wasn't in the image of the cross. The beauty was in what the cross means for you and I today. Because if you and I walked by the cross that day, if you have small children, you probably would have turned away in horror and said, please, son, please, baby girl, don't look up there. You won't be able to sleep tonight. You won't, you'll be crawling in our bed tonight. You'll have nightmares. Why? Because when you looked at the image of the cross, you didn't even realize that that was a human on that cross. Because of what he had been beaten. Three days in the grave, he comes out. And when he appears, they didn't even realize who he was. His mother looked right at him, didn't even realize. They looked right at him, didn't realize why. Well, there's a, you can say a lot of different things. I believe one of the reasons is because she didn't even know her own son because that's how damaged he was. I'm not here today to preach about the cross. That's not the point I'm trying to make to you today, even though it's of utmost importance, the cross. We're here today because of the cross. You and I sit here today with hands lifted, not because we are perfect, but because he is perfect. I'm not here today to preach on this, but just give me just five minutes to talk about it. Because when I think about the grace of mercy of Jesus Christ that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Don't let the suit fool you today. Don't let the, don't let the image fool you today. Because if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for the cross today, don't let the person sitting next to you today fool you because they look good. Because, oh, if you would have known where they came from. Oh, we forget so many times the story of where we all came from. We look good today. We act right today. But, oh, if it wasn't for the cross, where would we be today? If it wasn't for the cross that reached down into the muck and mire of your life, so thankful today the cross doesn't require perfection. I'm so thankful the, the, the cross doesn't require you to earn it. The cross doesn't require you to have to outweigh your bad with a bunch of good because you know what? You can never do too much good to outweigh your bad. I hate to break it to you, but if you think you can outrun your past by doing good, that's a treadmill you're never going to get off. You're on a treadmill today. You're not making any progress, but you're burning up some calories trying to outrun the deeds of your past. The only thing you can do is push the button. There's a little emergency button on most treadmills. It's there in case you pass out. You can hit that and it'll stop. Hit the button today and stop the treadmill. Throw your hands up and say, God, I'll never be able to do enough good to outweigh my bad. But I stand today at the foot of the cross and I say, oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost is not where I'm going. But somebody right now needs to accept some forgiveness in your life. You've been trying to earn it. You've been trying to outrun it. But I'm telling you today, the only thing you need to do is confess it and accept it. I feel that today for somebody. It's not even in my notes, but I feel it for somebody. Why? Because that's how much Jesus loves you. That he was able to go to a cross. He was able to be on that cross, shed his blood. And when he looked out into the depths of eternity, he saw you and he saw me. And the beauty about the cross, the Bible says, while we were yet, somebody help me finish that verse, sinners. Christ died for us. What does that mean? I always love to say it this way, that he didn't die for me for my best day. He died for me for my worst day. Hey, telling you, don't let the microphone blind you because I've had some bad days. I know some of you think, well, what kind of bad day have you had? Oh, honey. If you only knew, if you only knew, if you only knew, I always tell people before and people say, well, you know, I've never, never done this. I've never done that. I grew up in the church all my life. I've never, there's a lot of things I've never done, but you know what? There's a lot more sin in the Bible than about three things. I've never smoked, never drank, never done drugs. There's a lot of other stuff I can check off the box. So if you've done those things, we're still on equal playing field. Because that's not the three only. The Bible says in First John chapter 3, verse 11, here are the three sins in the Bible, drinking, smoking, and doing drugs. That's it. Because I may not have done those things, but I got a long, 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 long list of other stuff. 
don't stand here today because of perfection. I stand here today in imperfection because he is perfection. I wish somebody would just hear me for a moment today. We're about to change and go to a different direction. But I wish somebody would hear what I'm trying to tell you today. Because you're letting the devil keep you where you are. Because all he wants to do is keep bringing up your mistakes. Keep bringing up your failures. And keeps you where you are. Because you never can feel like I'll never be able to do enough good to outweigh my bad. I will say he's right. I got I to help me help somebody here for a second. The next time that voice gets on your shoulder and says, you're no good, you'll never be any good. Try this. Tell them, say, you know what? You're right. That voice says, you're no good, you'll never be any good. You know what? See what? You're right. I'll never be good. I'll never be able to do enough good. I'm never going to be a perfect person. Pretty much the moment I started breathing, almost 40 years ago, I messed that up. I'll never be good. But thankfully today, I don't have to rely on my goodness. I don't have to rely on my performance. The only thing I have to do today is look up to that cross and see my Savior. I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. It's waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. Oh, I could just, I could just tell Jesus is reaching in this room right now for somebody. I don't know who you are today. Boy, this is starting to go in a different direction, I thought, because I can feel the love of Jesus Christ reaching into this room today, telling somebody, if you would just let me take it, I'll take it. But the longer you hold on to it, I can't do anything about it. But if you would just let go of it, let me forgive you, I'll wipe it clean. What's in you matters. We looked at Jesus. The Bible gives us descriptions in Isaiah 52 and 53. The first one it gives us in Isaiah 52 says he was ugly. He didn't look human. Then Isaiah 53 tells us that he was comely. Literally, it says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. There was nothing about him that stood out. Because it wasn't what he looked like that made the difference. It was what was inside of him that mattered. You see, this was a pattern that played over and over and over and over and over and over and over in Scripture. Prophet shows up at the house of Jesse and looks at all the strong, able-bodied men and said, these have got to be the king. And God said, none of them. And he looks at the dad and says, you got any more boys? He said, I got this one. But he's ruddy. In fact, he's no more than just a shepherd. And Samuel said, go get him. When he walked in, God said, that's the king. In fact, I know of one occasion, the Bible really gives us a description of how good someone looked. And that was Saul. The king, the first king of Israel. Go back and read it. The Bible says he stood head and shoulders above every man. He was fine to walk behind, as they say. Look how it showed for him. 
His image was good, but his character cost him in the end. I'm trying to tell you today, I'm not saying we got to get rid of image. I'm just trying to say what's in you matters. Because you know what? Today, if you are about image, this is not the church you're going to like. Because let's be honest, we're not a really an image conscious church. We have artwork on display for you today for your perusing. Feel free after it's done to check out our artwork. We've got stuff on display. If you need lost and found, we've got gloves, hats, shoes, water bottles on display over here in these bins. But you know what? It's not what the building looks like that matters. Because you know what? Today, I have walked into cathedrals, but I could not feel Jesus. But I have gone to the depths of every village in Africa. I've walked in some dirt floors and some metal roofs. But I, when I walked in, I said, I feel Jesus. I want you to imagine this for a moment. Imagine this. There was a room in the Old Testament called the Holiest of Holies. In this room, there was this box called the Ark of the Covenant. Long before Indiana Jones took it from the Germans, it was in this room. It's not in a government warehouse somewhere. There was this room called the Holiest of Holies. It was a box. This box was so powerful and was so representative of the presence of God that mere touching it would kill you. This room was filled with the presence of God. The presence of God was so strong that this room had no light, but yet it was fully lit. Between this box was these cherubs there were angels with wings hovering in between was called the mercy seat one time a year the high priest would would enter in we don't know how he gets in there the bible really doesn't say because the bible said this room had no windows and no doors The priest would prepare himself. He would stand on the outside of what was called the veil and somehow we don't know how but The Bible says he would enter into that room. God would transport him into this room. He would go into this room. He would take blood. He would sprinkle it on this this ark, on the mercy seat. He would take away the sins of Israel for that year. This room was amazing. Powerful. The presence of God was in this room. It was the room in which God hovered. But you know, amazing a part of that, that room is if you step back two, three layers. It was surrounded by a wall of badger skins. They were dyed red. Now, I know a lot of you like red. I actually like red. I got red Lego cufflinks today. I like red. Red is a great color. But I really don't think we would want a room with all red walls. But yet this this powerful room was covered by something that I guarantee if you walked by, you'd probably go, ugh, who was the interior decorator that chose that color? What HGTV show did this 
makeover because they need to be fired. Because it was ugly. Why? Because God's never been about attracting people by what they can see with their eyes. God's never been about trying to get you enamored by what you can see. God's always been more cared about what's going on on the inside. Years ago, I had a cool opportunity. My wife and I were traveling. This was before kids. We could do these things. We were traveling back from Florida on vacation, and we were driving, and we decided to stop along the way at this called the World Golf Hall of Fame. It's just right there near Jacksonville, right on Interstate 95. You've probably seen it if you've driven down through there. And so on the way back, we decided to stop by, and I was just going to play golf on the way back home. And so we got out there as my wife and I, and uh, because it was, I was playing by myself, and she was uh, riding with me to support me and also help me look for my balls as they went in the trees. Uh, they paired us with a couple of other players. One of the gentlemen they paired us with, we got to talking and got to know each other and chatting throughout throughout you spend about four hours with a stranger when you play golf and so as you can you can really learn a lot about someone in four hours and as we began to talk to him he was a he was an older gentleman um at the time it looked like he was in his uh somewhere close to 70 probably at the time and easy i'm sorry he was a younger looking older man uh, and uh we got to talking and and um, I don't even know how we got on the subject. I don't even know where the, how we went this way. But um, we got to talking and come to find out he, was, uh, he, he went to the University of Florida. And he played football at Florida. He was a lineman, offensive lineman at Florida back in the 60s. And uh, I was like, well, that's cool. And we're talking. And uh, I believe it was somewhere halfway through the round, we stopped, and I was thirsty. It was a hot Florida day. I mean, the kind that just sucks the life out of you. And so I stopped, and I got a Gatorade. There was a little, there was a person coming around selling drinks, and I got a Gatorade, and went, got that. And he said, hey, can I tell you a story about that Gatorade? Sure. Come to find out, he was actually at the University of Florida, when the man that invented Gatorade invented Gatorade. The reason why it's called Gatorade is because Sister Naria is our resident Floridian Gator. The Florida Gators, it's the University of Florida. Their mascot is a gator. And so he was a, it was a scientist in the, in the Florida, University of Florida uh, school that came up with this drink in order to help the players replenish themselves on a hot day when they were practicing in full play. And the reason it's called Gator Aid is because it led aid to the Gators. And it was funny, he told the story, it's quite humorous, because he talked about the fact that um, uh, that uh, it tasted terrible at first. He said it was horrible. So back then, they believed in the 60s, if you drank water, you were weak. There were no water breaks. You, you did two practices a day in the heat of Floridian August summer, and there was no water. If you had water, you were weak. But they allowed any player could have as much as they wanted of the Gatorade. 
And it tasted so bad, but they were so thirsty that they drank it. He told the story about how that they began to drink it. And so, in my curiosity, I asked them, did it make a difference? And his response to me was, we won a lot of games. And there's a famous story that during this period of time where the Florida Gators were drinking this Gatorade, that they went to the 1967 Orange Bowl. Not a bowl full of oranges, but literally it's called the Orange Bowl. It's a famous football game for college. It's not a bowl full of oranges. Like, why would you go see a bowl full of oranges? You can do that at the grocery store. It's just called the Orange Bowl. Some of you are so literal. And they played the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in 1967. Florida won the game. And when it was all done, they asked the coach of Georgia Tech, they asked him what happened in the game, what made the difference. And his response was this, we didn't have Gatorade. And that made the difference. You see, whether it's true or not, and maybe everybody in this room today could weigh in on whether you think Gatorade works or not. But the bottom line is Gatorade is built on the premise, what goes in you matters. What's inside of you matters. We all know this from just pure health class 101 you learned in school. Junk in, junk out. As much as all of us enjoy what we can snack on, we love cookies and ice cream and cakes, we understand that you cannot sustain that as a diet because what goes in you matters. I'm not sure what the background of the maker of Gatorade understood, but I know one thing, he got one thing right. What's in you matters. What's in you matters. You see today is that it's really not coming down to where we are. It doesn't matter if we're in Crofton, we're in Severn. It doesn't matter if we end up in a tent. It doesn't matter if we stand on the side of the road. Because it doesn't matter what it looks like. But the biggest thing that matters is when you walk in this place and we begin to lift up hands and we begin to sing the songs that we sang today. When we begin to lift up our voices, we begin to sing, there is no greater honor than giving you praise. Lord, my heart is consumed by your mercy and grace. Lord, I lift up my hands and I worship your holy name. There is no greater honor than giving you praise. Lord, my heart is consumed by your mercy and grace. Lord, I lift up my hands and I worship your holy name. 
I don't care if you sound like Beyonce or you sound like a bunch of pots and pans banging together. It doesn't matter what you sound like. But when you begin to sing and you begin to worship Jesus, what matters is not what it looks like. The matter is what's inside of you is what really matters. And when you begin to lift up your voice and begin to call on the name of Jesus, something begins to happen. We can spend hours perfecting the praise. We can spend hours making sure every note was correct. Every voice was at the right pitch. The drummer was on the beat. The bass was everywhere it needs to be. But if Jesus wasn't in it, don't let the room fool you. Don't get messed up with the room wherever we are. Whether this is our last stop or just one of many more stops to come. It doesn't matter because you know what? God help us if we walked into a cathedral today and we looked around and went, oh, what magnificent building this is. But Jesus wasn't there. This world today, I'm telling you, have you, I, there's, there's a couple of restaurants in the area that you don't go there because it looks good. You don't go there because it's got the best ambiance. You ever heard of face hole in the wall? I don't eat it, but I know a lot of you do. How many of you like food off a food truck? See? Don't 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 act like you're shame. I know a lot of you food foodies are you know where every food truck is between here and Annapolis. You know where food trucks are. You know where they're going to be. But I, you know what? You don't go to a food truck because it looks good. Now, I personally don't eat it. But I know. I, I, we, were, we, were just, we, were up, we were up there a couple years ago with a friend of ours in New York City. New York City, they got those carts on the side of the street. They're just cooking anything. And people just line up to eat that stuff right off that cart. Exhaust fumes blowing on it. Stuff everywhere floating in the sky. They eat it. Why? Because you know what? It really doesn't matter what it looks like. All they care is it good and they like it. Because you know what? I have been in a couple of situations where it was fine dining. But when I got my fine dining, I wanted to send it back. Because it was way overpriced and it was not good. Years ago, Bishop and I were in Singapore and they were very kind. They, there was a man there that wanted to, 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 to honor us and take us out to eat. So he took us to this restaurant. It was an exclusive. It was a club. It was, not, it was a restaurant inside a club and you could only get in there if you were with a member of the club. So we got up in the club. Hey, see, I could go to the club. I was up in the club. Bishop and I, can you imagine Bishop and I? We were rolled up in the club. Woo, woo, woo. So if you ever say, well, my pastor don't go to a club, you got to make sure you say that right, because we were in the club. Bishop and I were rolling in the club. So they took us in this place, and it was such a nice, I mean, this was fine dining. I was way over my head. I mean, it was one of those places I felt ashamed to order a Coke. Because it was like, we don't, Coca-Cola is beneath us. But so they, we, we had this private room. 
But you know what they serve? Now, God bless you. If you like this kind of stuff, <laughs> let the Lord be with you. But they didn't even, they just brought out stuff. They just, you didn't even order. They just kept bringing stuff to you. And one of the fine cuisines they brought out was, I wish it was snails. It was jellyfish. Now, I know some of you adventurous eaters love that stuff. Personally, when it comes to eating, I know my lane and I stay in my lane. I'm not a picky eater. I just know my lane. So don't call me picky. I just know my lane. I know it works, so I stay in my lane. And jellyfish is not in my lane. I don't even think it's on my road. I didn't even pass that exit. (laughs) And when I saw the jellyfish, it looked like a jellyfish cut up. And amazingly, it tasted just like I thought a jellyfish probably would taste. It was cold. It was slimy. It was juicy. It was salty. I don't know if it was raw, but it wasn't cooked very well, cooked very much. Thank God. You know what? You can eat a lot of stuff with Coke. So for every bite of jellyfish, I drank a whole can of Coke. Didn't even taste it. I said all that to say that I would rather go to a hole-in-the-wall food truck than a fine dining. Why? Because it's not really the image that matters. Some of you would do so much in your life today if you walked out of here focusing more about what is going on on the inside than what you're doing on the outside. That's not what I'm preaching about today, but somebody needs to hear what I'm saying. Some of you could change your life today if you looked at your week and you looked at all the hours you spent on the outside. I like going to the gym. I like all that stuff. I try to comb my hair. I get haircuts. I do all this stuff trying to make sure that I have present a proper image. But you know what? The time that that gets out of balance to the inside is the time that I get in trouble. So some of you, if you would just look at your week, I challenge you. If you'd spend just as much time on the inside as you were on the outside, you'd change your life today. It would change your life like that. But the bottom line is this. What's in you matters. What's in you matters. We can talk about God all we want. We can talk about everything in Scripture all we want. But if we lose the power of the Holy Ghost, if we lose the fact that the Spirit of God is in us, dwelling in us through the manifestation and the evidence that comes with that infilling. If we lose that, we lose nothing. There's a lot of places out there today that you can go and you can sing popular Christian songs and you can hear someone talk about God, but it's just an image. Because when you peel it back without the power of the Holy Ghost. Without the power of the Holy Ghost inside. There's an old song that says, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. You can't get the outside straight if you don't have Him working on the inside. 
And oh, my friend, I'm afraid that in the world we live in where information and intellectualism and humanism is on a rise, if we're not careful, we'll just trade knowledge for power. We'll trade knowing about God more than experiencing God. And can I challenge this with somebody in here today? When's the last time you've had a true encounter with God? I don't know why I felt that in prayer the last couple of days. But when is the last time you can remember? If it takes you a moment to pause, it's been too long. If I say, when's the last time you had a true encounter with God? And you've got to go, hmm, it's been too long. Because if you can't say, you know what? When I woke up this morning. You say, well, that's a little too much for me. If that's too much for you, you don't even know what you're missing out. Because when I woke up this morning and my eyes popped open, I didn't have to go looking for Jesus. Because when I woke up this morning, he was already there. You see, a couple weeks ago, and I'm, I'm done, I'm done. A couple weeks ago, Pastor David preached about it. He made the statement that Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, he gets a bad rap. Because they came to Thomas and said, hey, Jesus is alive. He says, until I, until I. And they call him, call him Doubting Thomas. But again, if you read the story, he gets a bad name. Because I don't believe it was doubt that caused him to say. Because you know what? I think there was a part of Thomas that said, you know what, I'm thankful that you had your experience. But I want my own experience. I'm thankful that you saw the nail prints. But I want to see the nail prints. I'm thankful that you saw the piercing of the side. But I want to put my hand into his side. I'm thankful that you saw the nail prints on his feet, but I want to see. And in this world where we are living our life, watching other people live their life. My kids, we, it's ridiculous. They're enamored with all that stuff, crazy stuff on YouTube. And basically, they watch other kids live their life, go out and play. We've traded playing for watching other people play. We've traded activity. Reality TV has taken over. And basically, we watch other people. Because we don't have enough drama. we got to watch more drama. i got to break it down to you. I don't care how many roses he or she gives out. They ain't the one. So you can get ready on whenever it's Tuesday night to watch someone give out a rose. But in the end... Roses are going to die. And you can dance your way to the stars all that you want. But the bottom line, see, I know my stuff. Don't, don't sit back there. I got my ballroom dance on. My point I'm trying to make to you is, is that when's the last time you had a true experience with God? When's the last time you can remember when you were so saturated with the power of God, that you 
left changed. Can I warn you today? We cannot become so enamored with discipleship and knowledge about God that we forget the power to experience God. We're built around discipleship, growing, knowing Him. We talk about it in small groups. All that's powerful. But we cannot substitute knowing about God for experiencing the power of God. Would you stand with me? When is the last time? When is the last time you've had an experience with God? I, I, I don't do this today. I, I, some of you are new, so let me just break it down for you and help you out a little bit. We don't have a set agenda. We don't have this mapped out. If you come to our gatherings, there may be some things you find that are similar from week to week. We may sing. There may be someone who talks, but it's not scripted. There's sometimes we do some things, sometimes we don't do it. So I say that today is that we did not plan this out. Every day we come together on Sundays, it's under one desire. Just try to obey God. I want what God wants today, period. So I say that because I want you to understand what I'm about to do has nothing to do with ritual or, 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 or habit. I just have to do what I feel God is wanting to do. But I believe there's somebody in here today. We're, we're finished but I believe I can't do, I cannot shut down and move on without this opportunity. Somebody in this room needs a fresh experience with Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about just our brand new people. I'm talking about there are some of you that have been coming here week after week and you haven't had an experience with God in a long time. You need an experience of God. And what we have felt in this place today already, God is desperate to give you a brand new experience with Him. Don't live off of what someone's told you. Or don't live off the story of your past. But where is it in your heart today that says, God, I want a new experience with you today. The Bible says this, today is the day of salvation. What does that mean? I'm thankful for yesterday, but I can't live on yesterday. How many of you, when you leave here today, you're going you're gonna to go get food? Oh, don't lie. You, none, none of you are fasting. Come on. You ain't that spiritual. Come on. You know you're getting food. But what have I said to you? Nobody needs to eat yesterday because you ate last week. Don't worry about eating today. It's okay. We got you covered. You ate at Thanksgiving. You would say, yeah, but Thanksgiving is long gone. So how do we know that from a natural standpoint? But from a spiritual standpoint, we starve ourselves every day because we talk about the Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, I experienced God on Thanksgiving. Oh, I had a great Christmas meal with Jesus three years ago. Oh, Easter was awesome with Jesus. But yet our soul is hungry for a fresh meal from the table of heaven. I wonder if there's anybody here today that you would, you need a, you need an experience with God today. Don't be ashamed. You may come in every week, but you know what? Hunger doesn't care about image. 
hunger doesn't say, well, well, you know what? Oh, people think there's something wrong with me. See, that's image. But hunger says, I'm more worried about what I'm eating than what it looks like. Because you know what? You ever been hungry enough? You didn't care if you had mayonnaise or ketchup or mustard running down your cheek when you're eating that you had spaghetti sauce all over your clothes. It didn't matter because you were hungry. You'll clean it up when you're done. But right now you're hungry. Is there anybody here today that you're willing to get out of your seat and just come down here, lift your hands and say, God, I want a brand new experience with you today, right here, right now, in this moment. Come on, somebody needs, somebody needs to respond. God's been reaching in this room for the last hour and 45 minutes, and somebody needs to say, hey, maybe you can turn to your neighbor next to you and say, listen, why don't you and I go down together and let's have a brand new experience together. Maybe somebody in your small group sit next to you and say, listen, let's go down together and have an experience together. Come on, would you do that? Come on, somebody, would you come down? Lift your hands wide down front. There's nothing special about down front, but according to your faith, so be it unto you. Is there anybody here today? Come on, can I get some brothers and sisters? Come on, there's people down here that are saying, Jesus, I want fresh today. I'm not living off of yesterday's stale bread, but I want new manna. New manna today. Jesus come on just for another moment we're done but just for another moment can you just be sensitive to those around you the power of God the presence of God the love of Jesus Christ is in this place Jesus is in this place would you just respond to him as he responds down now in the name of Jesus